I'm really glad there's not a brownie point system in the spiritual life, but if there were Connor Moore for serving as a sheepdog in this cold weather, you would get all the brownie points at church today. Thank you for serving. You came here to thaw out for a moment, I understand. Um, I, I honor you for being here today. Last Friday uh, was Quitter's Day. I don't know if you know this. Um, there is uh, uh, an exercise organization that tracks that that is the Friday that the majority of people who decided I'm going to exercise in the new year are like, I'm done. It's the, it's the second Friday of January, historically, um, has become known as Quitter's Day. And New Year's resolutions tend to get a bad rap. I don't, I don't know if you uh, would agree with that, but most of what I read, New Year's resolutions tend to, to get bashed on. Usually New Year's resolutions are talked bad about someone who's selling you their program to help you meet your goals better. Um, which means they just want you to do a different form of New Year's resolutions. But the reality is to be resolute about healthy things is always a good thing. And a lot of times a New Year's resolution is about the idea of beginning a new habit that did not exist in your life or maybe ending a bad habit that does exist a little too much in your life. Sometimes it is that we're being resolute about continuing the stuff that matters most. It's, it's a renewal. And it's not so much new year, new you, or new year and a new vision. It's, man, let's be resolute about renewing the things that matter most. That's kind of the heart of where we are as a church uh, in the beginning of this year. The, the first couple of months of 2024 is intended to be a renewal of why we believe we do what we do. Every church has language around that and uh, it's not that our language is better than somebody else's, but the language that we've developed here over the last decade and a half is that we exist to guide people to life change in Jesus. We think you can know things about Jesus and not be changed. You can even believe some things about Jesus and not be changed. But you cannot actually be in a relationship with Jesus and be unchanged. It's not how it works. And we watch as people grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus, they're experiencing life-changing areas they never thought they'd be free from. They, they never thought they'd be transformed by. And the way we think that life change happens is, is as we grow to know God more intimately, to love God more passionately, to share God more intentionally. And then we heard Garrett Rife last week talk about connecting with each other, that we're doing so relationally, authentically. And we're renewing today uh, our focus on sharing God. That, that's not something this church does. That's just in our DNA. If, if we claim to be church, a church can't be church if they're keeping the story of Jesus to themselves. There's no such thing. It might be a religious gathering or a Bible study, but to be church means we think this story needs to be proclaimed in our own households, in our own communities, and in our world. That's going to be our focus today. I do want to give you a bit of an update about something. We talked about our Christmas offering a few weeks ago. Um, we kind of kicked this thing off actually a little over a year ago, Project Gara and our commitments to that. If we can put that, that screen up, we, we um, for lack of a better term, we committed to a thing that was bigger than really our capacity to meet from a logistics standpoint. Um, I think that's called faith. 
Some people might call that stupidity, but we, we thought it was a step of faith because we really sensed the Lord calling us to partner with this uh, Haitian refugee church plant in the village of Gera in the Dominican Republic. The Lord was merciful in that somebody partnered with us in phase one and matched our $30,000. And uh, so phase one got completed pretty quick, check mark, praise the Lord. And then we found ourselves uh, in, uh, the, I guess, towards the, the beginning of the fall where we had completed the first half of phase two um, and thought that same partner was going to help us with phase two, found out that wasn't going to be the case. And so we came to you as a congregation and said our Christmas offering goal is $30,000. Uh, in the past, uh, since I've been here, maybe the years this church is a lot older than me, in the last 15 years, the biggest Christmas offering we've ever had was around $15,000. And so we came to you with something that was double what we've ever seen done before. I think that's called faith. Some might call that stupidity. Uh, we thought it was faith. We came and presented that to you. And we shared with you uh, on the last Sunday of this year that, praise God, we completed phase two. Uh, that more than $30,000 was given. As a matter of fact, what we shared with you on that Sunday is we were about $3,000 short of completing phase three. Several of you responded, and it is my great joy to share with you this morning. We have completed phase three of Project Kara. To God be the glory. Um, And so next year, when we talk to you about the Christmas offering, we know what you're capable of. (laughs) I'm just serious. Um, Praise God to get to partner. And some of you have come with us and you've met uh, Pastor Matthew and his wife. And you've met the other Haitian refugee pastors there. Um, and if, if you'll come with us next time we go, I'm just telling you, there's something, there's a genuineness about these guys that we just want to partner with. We, we just believe in the work of God that he's doing there. And, uh, what is personally rewarding to me, and this doesn't have to mean as much to you as it means to me, it's okay. But what's personally really rewarding about this partnership is it's, uh, it's with my big brother. Uh, Restore Ministries International uh, is, is how we first met these guys uh, after the tragic earthquake in Katrina over a decade ago. And um, now they've fled as refugees and still are called to serve the Lord. And, um, and through those events that you've heard the stories of, I'm just proud of seeing uh, my brother Greg have a renewed calling to these guys and to the work that God's doing there. And so I'm thrilled that our church gets to play a little role in one of these Uh, church plants with this and i'm proud that it gets to be with my big brother i've asked him to come and share an update kind of a big picture update uh with us today and i've asked him to share god's word with us this morning so give a welcome to greg rice well i'll echo what he said it is amazing to get to do ministry with family family not always good um I grew up with Doug. <laughs> I said this morning to a couple of people that I abused Doug a lot as a kid. I did. Um, he earned every bit of it, but it was wrong of me, and I'm almost sorry. Um, I know I should be. Um, man, a $60,000 offering. Really? Thank you so much. Not my money, but thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I enjoyed some of you guys I didn't know well at all that came on the missions trip. We got to know each other quickly. When you get crammed into a bus full of sweaty, stinky people, you get to know each other really, really quickly. 
um, when the hotel power goes out and everybody's out in their pajamas trying to figure out what's going on, you get to know each other really quickly. Um, and when you're sitting eating food, you're not really quite sure what it is. You get to know each other really quickly. Uh, there's a group forms there um, that I'd love for each of you to be a part of. Every mission trip is different. Um, in fact, yours was one of the most unusual ones I've ever personally been on. I've been doing disaster relief as a missionary for a long time. Um, and all of a sudden, Doug's like, yeah, the average age of our trip is, and he gave me a number. And I was like, whoa, this is not going to be a normal trip for, for us. Um, it was exactly what God wanted in that moment. So clear. Uh, thank you for those of you that helped others go. Thank you that prayed for us while we were there. And I believe this offering is in its own way a result of that trip. Um, you know, the Bible talks about us spreading the things we know to each other, encouraging each other. Um, I believe that happened through this trip. Um, and I'm excited to share with you some things today. Uh, I'll kind of want to start by quickly sharing most of this is home folk. On a, on a cold day like this, most of us, I've stood in front of you all before. I don't recognize some of you. Um, my wife Robin is in the very back corner here. That's as close as she'll get to the platform. Um, unless she is induced with special meals or something. Um, my wife Robin's there. I, my mom's beside her. I've got Alex and Kelsey and their brand new baby here today for the first time. And um, I've got my other kids watching online. So it's a cool thing. And to my own family, don't worry, I'm not speaking from James today because the joke when they were kids was everywhere we go, Dad speaks out of James because it was simple when I was learning how to speak a little bit. Uh, no James today, guys. So Robin and I are missionaries, um, have been since Hurricane Katrina, um, went down, volunteered a little bit, turned into a long-term volunteer, turned into a, a calling and a life change and disaster relief for, for a long time. Um, Doug mentioned meeting some of these guys in Haiti. He said in Katrina, he met in Haiti. Um, we met these men after the earthquake there and um, expected to be going back to Haiti over and over and over for the rest of my life. I fell in love with the place, even though it's a disaster. Um, and God didn't let that work. And eventually, they, their lives in Haiti were such a mess, they decided to start serving the refugees that are leaving Haiti and going to the Dominican Republic. We've got some photos here um, of what that work looks like. Uh, some of it was already there um, the first time I saw it, and some of it has developed a lot in the last two years. Uh, we'll start with the first picture, and you'll see the village of New Jerusalem from space. Uh, amazing technology in this world, yeah? Small group of people, uh, 2,000, 3,000, nobody's counting, nobody knows. Uh, people in the village today probably will be in the 10,000 range in five or eight years based on how these types of villages normally grow. Um, a pastor friend of ours that Doug's told the story of, Pastor Edison, we're in Haiti. He sits and has a conversation with a young man trying to decide, am I going to go into law? Already had his lawyer's degree. Am I going to become an attorney? Or am I going to go to Bible college and become a pastor? And without any prior relationship, he happened to see us working, happened to sit down with Doug. Doug happened to take the hour or two to talk to him about it when he was supposed to be working with me, <laughs> just to be clear. And the perfect Mary Martha moment, I've told this story all over the country when I get the chance, the perfect Mary Martha moment, I was, I was cleaning up a wall that fell during an earthquake 
for our headquarters to be rebuilt the next day so that we could minister for years in the country of Haiti. And Doug decided, I want to yak with this guy over here under the tree, under the porch of a half-built house. And I was annoyed. Um, but Pastor Madison went to Bible College, says over and over that conversation with Doug was pivotal in his life in that moment. And God had us there for that. All of this today we talk about started that conversation. Um, so Edison was the first of the men to go over to, to the Dominican Republic, and he helped create this village. Um, this village is a government-planted spot for Haitians who are in the country, most of them in the country illegally, but they've managed to get in, and they have to go somewhere, and so they create spots where they just don't hassle them too much. They don't provide a lot of services, almost no services, but they let them live there um, fairly unmolested. And so Edison was part of the creation of this village. Edison named the streets from names in the Bible, uh, John Avenue, Andrew Avenue, Peter Avenue, and decided to call the village New Jerusalem. So he had a small church there, small school there. Go to the next slide. This is that school today. Now, seven years ago, Edison planted all those little trees behind the van. They were just things he dug up along the road. And because it's a tropical island, in seven years, it looks like that now. We've got to clean that out. So behind, behind all of that is a school, a uh, preschool, about 150 kids, um, teaching them everything we teach our kids and a whole lot more because they're, they're Creole-speaking children, for the most part, from Haiti, in a country that speaks Spanish, with a ministry that's run in English. So these kids are learning two languages that they don't know already, developing the third one that they've already got, um, and they're learning the things of God. Um, you see the uh, teachers singing, praising, worshiping, having fun with these kids. And he would love to develop a large school, which we are in partnership with him to do. Other of his friends, Bible college students, things like that, have come and helped him serve there in New Jerusalem. And they've gone on to start their own ministries. Um, Matthew is one of those men. Uh, went to the same college as Edison did there in, in Haiti, uh, a college that Doug and I helped guide Edison towards. American missionary that I knew as a kid went to, I just missed it, went to the Philippines, led someone to Christ, who then went to college and became a missionary that went to Haiti, who then started a Bible college that then Edison went to, that we now serve in the Dominican Republic, disciples, 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 fourth level discipleship. Beautiful story. Edison has uh, helped create a, a group of pastors that work together, um, and that's what we're trying to support is these five pastors today. Uh, next slide is the graduation last year of our first class. Um, huge celebration. This is a legal graduation of children from kindergarten into first grade. The government recognizes their diplomas. The first Creole school that has ever been um, overseen and controlled a little bit. And um, we have legal graduation. And we'll continue that throughout our, our schooling, Lord willing. 
So this was a big celebration. This was not national news, but this was a big deal in the country. First Creole school to graduate kids into first grade. And now we've got first graders this year. So it's been exciting. Um, go ahead and go to the next. We've, we've uh, done some, some work with medical things. So there's, a, there's an issue. Three million Haitians in a country of 11 million people. And for the most part, not welcome in the basic operations of the country. There is one hospital in the country that will accept a Haitian that is undocumented. Um, so as a result, they're, af- they're afraid to go. They're, they're malnourished anyways. And they're struggling. So the lady in the picture who is overwhelmed right now looking at all the, the things that we had just shown up with to, to give her that she had asked for, she gave us a list. A church in Ohio took up everything on the list. And we packed it all in the bags, and we took it over to her. And uh, this is days later when she actually unpacked it all, and she was overwhelmed, not knowing that all that was going to show up. We didn't expect it either. It's really exciting. So they started a, a, uh, a clinic. She's been working with pregnant mothers, newborns, things like that for years. But uh, you'll see in the next couple of photos, you'll see a opportunity to actually serve some of the people in the community on a Monday, and a group came in from uh, Michigan and did some of this work with her. Um, and we saw around 600 people that day in just one day of clinic work. Uh, there's plans and goals of a large clinic that operates a couple of days a week there in New Jerusalem. The building is already built. We need to put a second story on it so the church can move upstairs. And then we'll have a clinic in the lower level that will also uh, do a few other things as well. So. Um, that work is being done, it's growing, it's moving forward. Our goal, RMI's goal, Greg and Robin's goal, our supporters' goals are to support what's being done already in New Jerusalem and to develop the things that they want to develop. We're not in charge. We don't control it. Hopefully we guide it in moments. But this is something that's being done um, by the local folks because they know what they need to do and how it needs to be done. Um, they're asking for some training. They're asking for some materials. They're asking for pastors to come and instruct and guide and give ideas. Um, but this is something they're already already doing, already moving forward. The, the clinic is a really large effort. Uh, I think eventually it will be uh, really heavy. Um, a lot of work. And it's going to bring a lot of folks that have a lot of needs to us. And so we're trying to do that as slow as possible because we're not really ready to operate that yet. Um, So that brings us to the conversation of Matthew. You've heard Pastor Matthew's name mentioned several times here today. Um, I met Pastor Matthew in the Dominican Republic for the first time. I did not meet him when I was doing my disaster work in Haiti. Um, I knew the place Matthew came from in Haiti. Matthew sat and told me his story in his home first time I visited, and Doug has shared bits and pieces of his testimony. He was, he was born in a little tiny village um, to two parents that were not married, which is a pretty big deal in Haiti. Haiti's pretty, pretty careful about that. Um, so immediately there was issues in the relationship, and his, uh, his dad left um, very quickly, and his dad was later killed. He, he never met his dad. So his mom was um, sole caretaker for just her and him. Um, she got sick and she died before he was five. He does have some memories of her. So he was an orphan in Haiti. 
in uh, Hades kind of shaped like a fist with a with a finger sticking out the bottom, and he was right on the tip, as far away from Port-au-Prince as possible, one of the more undeveloped parts of Haiti. Um, so he was in a village, just a little kid, five years old, no parents, no relatives, uh, a bit of a reject. Um, apparently he wasn't the cutest kid. Uh, the village's name for him was the word ugly in Creole. Um, so he did what he could. He worked hard. He was aggressive finding food and things, and people helped him some, but mostly he just tried to survive as a kid. And eventually, he, there was just not enough resources for the community to survive on its own, and then he was making things worse, and they actually said, he's so close to death anyways, he's so close to starving. They asked the fishermen to take him out on the boat and just let him out of the boat. End his life. Um, and those fishermen put him in the boat. A reality we can't fathom, I, don't, I can't justify, but it's, it's truth. And those fishermen took him out, and that day he worked with the fishermen. And a couple of them were like, this guy, you know, this kid, he's a worker. I don't want to throw him overboard at the end of the day. So they took their cats in closer to Port-au-Prince, capital city, and they said, well, maybe we'll find somebody who wants him. We can sell him, get a little bit of money. And so they tried to find an opportunity where he could work the docks or he could, he could be sold. Um, they didn't find anything, so they just left him go. So now he got dumped off as a village kid with no education and no experience in a capital city full of three million people. Um, he eventually joined a gang at a very young age for protection and a little bit of food. And uh, in Matthew's words, I was a dread. He grew dreadlocks. I was a dread. You know what that is? I was a dread. Um, yeah, he was trouble. He was a punk. He was a thief. Um, and then one day he saw some guys playing basketball and decided he wanted to play basketball. Turned out that they uh, they had said, well, we get together every Tuesday and play basketball here. And then we do this little sermon thing. And so he sat through a sermon thing, and then they gave him a few uh, some rice and beans and things, and, and they let him go. And so he came back the next day. When's the next one of those? <laughs> um, and eventually found that there was a soccer day, and there was an American football day where they did not play football at all. But they did throw football. But um, a ministry that was reaching out, that was just giving opportunity. If you're searching, here's a spot to come find. Um, and eventually he decided to start sleeping there. So they let him be like the security guard boy, and they would feed him supper every day as a, as a thank you for keeping an eye on things. Um, eventually he learned some of the, the regulars' names and made relationships, and long story short, eventually he says, well, what if I wanted to go to your school? And they said, well, how much school do you have? I don't have any school. Can you read? No. Can you write? No. Um, well, I don't know how he would do that then. You know, you're 15. <laughs> um, and Matthew said, oh, I can learn. I'm not dumb. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but it, it took seven, eight, nine, ten years to get here, you know. And apparently, just a matter of a couple of years, Matthew caught up. Um, finished school. Um, still had his quirks and his unusualness. You know, Haitians kind of separate into groups. And he was a, a village kid living in the city. You don't fit, you know. And he said, I'd like to go to Bible college. I'd like to study more about how to 
present the gospel. And they said, well, that's fine. You probably could work in a church someday. You're probably not pastor material. Um, his mentor told him he was not a pastor, <laughs> um, which hopefully we never do. <laughs> um, so he studied the Bible anyways. And eventually he went to the Dominican Republic to work with Edison as a good helper, a well-trained, trustworthy helper. And he was just with Edison for a few weeks before Edison said, man, God's call is on this kid. You know, this is a pastor waiting to happen. You know, I don't understand why he was told he's not a pastor. Um, and he began to give Matthew more and more responsibility. One of the cool things about how they do ministry there is they all visit with each other for their churches. So each church that's trying to develop or having a big day, all, all the pastors get together and visit in the community, invite to that church, even though it's not their church. So they lead people to Christ in that reality. So every church has people that were led to Christ by all the other guys. So everybody's invested in everybody's ministry. Um, I'll put a picture of Matthew up here next. Um, Matthew is uh, Matthew is a quiet, um, meek guy, but there is a fire inside of him. Um, that is his wife. And she is a fireball, Wes, Wesleyan. Her name is Wesleyan. She has a lot of personality. She's a lot of fun. He's a little dry. She is not. Uh, I have a lot of fun with Wesleyan. Uh, I'll tell you some more about them in a minute. We met Matthew. Matthew's a pastor today. Matthew's ministry is exploding in growth today. Um, Doug met him, and eventually your group met him. Um, we'll show the next picture of the building under construction um, so this isn't what the building looked like when we visited. It looked better than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can see in the center of the building, uh, kind of by the light pole, there's a window, but you can see that the block underneath that window is all brand new. That used to be the front door of the church, but right across the street is a big baseball field, the community baseball field. And those baseballs were getting hit on Sundays coming across the road, banging on the side of the building. They're afraid they're gonna, one was going to come into the building in the middle of a service. Uh, third world problems. We don't have to worry about baseballs flying through our, our services. But uh, So they moved the front door around the corner, um, putting windows in, uh, smoothing the, the walls on the inside. Um, we were about $15,000 short of that work getting done when we took the group here from Temple. Um, the Temple group realized that talked among themselves and provided that, that $15,000. I think it was $14,000 if I remember right. Um, to finish the auditorium on the inside. And Hi brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you doing? Uh, this is the, the inside of the church. So as you can see it's, it's finished completely. So now we are waiting for the doors and windows so we can put in the church and also the fence. Uh, everything is ready. So we are waiting for, for them to come so we can install them. Thank you so much for your help and support. And thank you so much, Brother Greg. Thank you so much, RMI. Pastor Edison, Brother Carlos, for your prayers and help. And hope that God is going to continue to bless you. And you can continue to uh, pray and share the good news. 
That's Matthew two months ago. Sent me a quick video just to say, hey, we're making progress. Uh, the windows are in today. The doors are in today. Uh, I think they're going to paint next week, if I understood him right. Had struggled with the weather. The humidity level has been so high. Um, when our group was there, that floor was dirt, gravel. When we were there, the walls were blocked and poured concrete that hadn't been smooth yet. It looked like it was about to fall in on you. There's something about a wall that's not smooth when you can see a piece of rebar and you can see where the concrete ran down the block when they poured the, the lentils and the things. Um, but that work is done. Um, the money we took up here is to continue that project. Your Christmas offering is to continue that project to make the payment, the final payment on the land. And this last $30,000 will be to add a second story on that building. Um, I'm sure they showed photos of that building completely packed full of people, kids. Um, we'll put a second story on that building that will cover both the house and the church building so that we can hold a whole lot more people. Um, he has a lot of plans of doing a feeding center up there, um, God willing. And, of course, the auditorium will be much larger. And right now they can't meet the kids and the adults at the same time. There's not enough room for both. So they say... They've got the kids coming on Saturdays and the adults coming on Sundays and asking the parents to leave their kids home, which they do a whole lot differently there in their culture than, than we do here. Hey, six, he'll be fine. Uh, so uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, that's what they're doing. So um, that's the introduction. All that was just me talking, saying, okay, this is, this is who um, we are to you. This is who you are to us. This is who we all are together to the Haitians in the Dominican Republic. Um, I want to talk to you about a subject that, uh, honestly, I had a message I was fairly confident I was going to do today until last week when Garrett got up and talked. Um, I was all excited, you know. The crescendo, first it was Doug, and then it was Garrett, and then it was going to be me, and you were going to get rife in a crescendo. Um, <laughs> And then God made it nine degrees out, and nobody showed up, and it's the other way around. But as I sit and listen to Garrett, I'd never heard Garrett speak before. I think most of us hadn't, probably in the room, and I listened to him talk and share and talk so much about what Temple is to him. Um, you know, he grew up here. This is this is what he thinks. Church is, because this has been his experience in church. And because his dad's the preacher, he's heard the intentionality of why temple is what temple is more than the average kid does. He's got some clarity there that most guys his age wouldn't have, um, partly because every sentence Doug says is perfect, which is totally annoying. But <laughs> I'm 11 sentences into a conversation, and Doug will say, oh, because da 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 Okay, yeah, that was good. Uh, that was great. That was actually what I was trying to say. I, I was going to take 10 minutes to say that. Garrett has some of that ability, right? He, he has the ability to, to see life in a special way. He knows Temple's a different place than a lot of other places. He knows Temple's special. Is Temple special? Well, it is to, it is to Garrett, right? It is to y'all. That's what makes your family. Are my kids better than anybody else's kids? No, <laughs> uh, definitely not. Some of them better than others. And I'll let them decide who that is. <laughs> so he's talking about, hey, let's not forsake our assembling together. Some people are doing that, right? Um, and I'm reading the scripture before, the scriptures after, which is kind of what I'm um, 
trained to do. Hey, get some context, get some idea of what all this is. And, and while he was talking, I felt like God was just giving me a message. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go right back where he was last week to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 23. Um, a lot of Garrett's message was in verse 24. We're going to read 23 and 24 together. The Bible says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's pray and we'll start. Lord, we love you. Um, I pray that you'll meet with us today. I pray that you'll empty me of myself. I have a lot of things I want to say today. I have a lot of things I want to communicate today. The truth is, all I want is for you to communicate what you want to communicate through me today. Help me to find the words that you want. Help us to be in a position where we can hear them. Help us to be open-minded and open-hearted to receive them. We love you. praise you. We thank you for the amazing way you've allowed Temple to bless this congregation in the Dominican Republic. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're reading verses about church, what the church is, what the church is supposed to be. What does God expect from us as a group of people, a local body of believers? And Garrett did a good job of doing that last week. I'm not going to redo that. But he said, hey, we need to be together. We need community. We need to involve ourselves in each other's lives. We need to be intentional about this. So I'm a social person when I want to be, and I'm antisocial when I want to be. Um, I like being alone. A lot of my disaster work, you're rushing to a disaster and everybody else left because it's a disaster. And you work there and you work for a while and a group comes in. And you're going to work with a group. And okay, uh, they're all new people. I don't, names just don't stick in my head. So I've... I give people names in my head. Okay, that's, <laughs> I know who that guy is. I can tell by how he, what he's dressed in. And I, that lady, I got drama there. I know who she is. And I literally, because it's not personal for me like it's supposed to be, I, these, are, these are tools in my toolbox. This is one of my flaws that I work on. Um, well, if I do that in my relationships, there is no relationship, right? That's impersonal. Um, we're supposed to be in each other's lives. I struggle with that. I can show up and give everybody a hug here, and people ask questions about all the different, you know, I've been around here a lot. People ask questions and ask about how are your kids and eh, how are yours, but is there a relationship? So I struggle with that personally. Neil and I are friends. All right? I've been in Neil's house two times, three times. To look at possible projects he needed done. I'm sorry. Uh, somebody else needed done. Yes. Uh, and we've talked about what needs done. And, and then I've walked out of the house. And I've communicated with Julie about the bathroom, what it would look like if we did this project we want to do. And we've, here's an idea. Look at this Pinterest. And look at that Pinterest. And I have a girly side to me about that. So we communicate back and forth. Neil and I were just together in Guatemala for a couple of days uh, this summer. And we got to know each other a little bit better. But Neil's a 
He's not a communicator either. I haven't spoken to him since. Not one time. Until I got here and he heard I was here. And his garage door, his garage door opener wasn't working. <laughs> he was like, hey, Greg, what do you know about garage door openers? All right. Is that a relationship? No knock on you, Neil, or me. Is that a relationship? On some level, but is that not a developed relationship? Because I don't know what Neil's struggles are today. I don't know about the big things going on in Neil's life for the most part. I don't. He doesn't know mine. We're friendly, but do we have a relationship? I think sometimes that's how we are with God. I have a need. (laughs) Hey, God. You do realize that payment's due. Hey, God. You do realize... My kid's sick. Is it a relationship? Let's talk about a relationship with God. I think there's a few basic tenets of our relationship with God that if we would keep in in priority in front of ourselves, it changes it. It has for me some. I'm still in this journey, but it has for me some. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, that's, that's Bible talk, right? Yep, that all makes sense. Yep, we all heard this type of thing before. Yep, that's a good verse. I get that. Well, we don't talk quite that way. What is the confession of our hope? Without wavering. Hold fast to it. There's a lot of words in there. What, is, what does that actually mean? Does our Faith actually matter to us. Do I care that I'm a Christian? (laughs) That I've been saved from hell? That a holy God cared about me enough to sacrifice for me? That he made it simple. I'm not murdering myself to somehow earn this thing. He offered it to me. Do I care? Sometimes I care. But this is the confession of our hope, holding fast to the confession of our hope. Somebody already said today, are we communicating this miraculous gift that we've got? Are we confessing it? Are we talking about it? Are we sharing it? When's the last time you had a conversation in which you actually got down to the real thing? Where you said to somebody, well... I see life through a different lens than a lot of other folks because I'm a Christian. Well, a lot of people are Christians. What does that mean? No, I believe that the Bible's real. Okay, so you're weird. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm weird. I believe God's a real existing thing. He's a person. He started it all. This is this is all His. I'm His. I was created for a specific reason. To give him glory. And I blew it. And he loved me anyways. And he offered me salvation. He offered me freedom from the consequences of my choices. Because he's so perfect, he can't have imperfect in front of him. And yet he found a way, he made a way to cover my imperfections. So we can be personable, interactive friends. We can have that relationship that Neil and I don't have. Right? But only if I work my half of that. But if I'm sharing my faith, automatically, 
Nothing brings you closer to God than realizing you're about to start to talk to someone about salvation that might not already understand or have already ever been told. Okay, God, help me right now. This is super important. I'm sorry I was obsessing about what shoes I was going to buy five seconds ago. Here we are, brass tacks. I think some of us, myself, for a long time, I shied away from sharing my faith. It terrified me. Because am I really even qualified to talk about this right now? Yes. <laughs> As a child of God, you're, you are qualified. Because he did this for you. Share it. The confession of our hope. So this is one of the things that attracted me so much to Matthew. Um, Pastor Matthew is a, uh, a guy that just looks you in the eyes and has a conversation. So how are you feeling today? Everything's good? Yes? I like those shoes. Yeah. 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 You wore a short sleeve shirt on a, on a day of 17 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Starts a conversation. Right? Are you struggling today? You look a little grumpy. Well, I got this and I got that. Yeah, we do too. I know somebody that this. Now there's a conversation. Next thing you know, he says, I'm a pastor. I work in a church. It's usually how he says it. He doesn't say he's a pastor. It scares people. I work in a church. Yeah. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're in a gospel conversation. I'm sitting over here eating my meat, whatever that meat is. And he's having a conversation with a waiter who's supposed to be working about his faith. And it never crossed my mind to start that conversation. As a result, God's blessed his ministry like crazy. And he's recreated that in other folks. So he has a congregation that's sharing their faith on a regular basis. Unashamedly, quickly. Um, yesterday, I got a phone call from Edison. Pastor Edison's out of the country right now. He's in Mexico. He said, hey, here's the deal. I know you're there next week. Um, two of the people that I led to Christ before I left have been through the discipleship program far enough that they are confidently asking to be baptized, and I'm not there to baptize them. And, and uh, it would be really cool if you could find one of the pastors you're taking over there next week to baptize my, my converts because we've been talking on the phone, and they're really anxious. This guy in Mexico talking about a Dominican couple he led to Christ as a Haitian in a country where he's not really welcome, calling an American missionary to ask an American pastor to baptize a new convert because they're communicating on a regular basis from Mexico to the Dominican public about their faith and their discipleship. I was like, okay, yeah, yes, <laughs> whatever, yes. Um, we were in the Dominican together. We, as in the temple group and myself and Robin, were in the Dominican group uh, this summer. And in typical fashion, Edison looked at Doug and said, okay, we're going to do a message now. Um, what would you like to speak on? Here we go. Let's go. Bang. And, and Doug spoke. And uh, a lady was saved in that service. Um, those of you that were there, remember, you can almost see her intent, her intentness on what on what was being interpreted to her. Um, God, Holy Spirit worked on her heart. We could actually see it, and she was fascinated and she was interested and she immediately responded, "Yes, I want that." 
and she was a mom of a ch- of a child um, in the preschool at that time. And everybody was like, hmm, she's never talked to anybody about anything spiritual. Um, and they led her to Christ right there after the service. And our schedule being what our schedule was, we kind of ran off. You know, did you ever say anything other than hello to her right after the service? Yeah. So no discipleship on our part, not even really understanding of whether or not anything had really happened because they were just like, yes, yes, yes. Turns out she moved, her husband moved, and uh, they moved over near Matthew and got involved in the church there at Matthew's. And she met a, remember, this was just in July that she got saved. Uh, She met a man in the church there at Matthew's church, and they got to talking, and they realized they had a lot in common. And like happens as adults, we make relationships really quickly, and they were like, yep, we're going to get married. This is it. He's the one. Well, he's been called to ministry. He has been called to ministry, and it's been almost two years in pastoral training. Uh, Matthew is considering having him kind of as his number two guy there in the in the ministry. And this new pastor's wife got saved because we took the time to share the gospel at the last second when we were supposed to be just playing a couple of songs for the kids. This was in a children's ministry. What are we doing? Share your faith. You don't know. You don't know. What God's doing. Um, her name is Sima. His name is Pierre. Um, I'd love for you to put them on a prayer list um, for yourself. Um, they are they are desperately poor two people. Um, the joy I haven't told Matthew yet that we've raised this last thirty thousand to put the second story on. The the joy. On Matthew's face, when he called and told me, guess what? We got a good tent for Shema and Pierre to put on the roof of the church building so they have somewhere to live. They thought it would be awesome if they could find a way to live on the church building so they could help watch it. So they're in a tent. I can't explain to you the heat. I can't explain to you the ridiculous conditions that would be. That's where they're living today. And that's their plan right now until God does something different. So we're going to show up and say, okay, out of the way, we're going to build a building and <laughs> displacing people. So um, we haven't started working on, on what the options are yet, so pray about that. That's, that's, uh, that's one, of the, one of the million little things that uh, we're hoping God has a solution for that we can understand. So confession of our hope is verse 23. So verse 24 was, let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. So first it was a confession of our hope, and now it's the consideration. Uh, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So that relationship we've been talking about between us and Christ we talked about our relationship between each other as a, as a local body. Um, there's a command there. <laughs> Consider, which means premeditatively put effort into it, make a plan, make it intentional. How do we get each other, with yourself included, to do more good works, to show more love, to do the things that a Christian's supposed to do? We all know. 
that people that aren't church, people that aren't Christians, they look at the church and they always try to figure out what that is. It's, it's an out, we're outside that group. What is that group? And sometimes we send a really good message. Other times we send a really rough message. Um, I think the writer of Hebrews, Paul or, or whoever it was, said, okay, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. So naturally do we love? <laughs> naturally do we do good works? Sometimes I do. <laughs> I remember those times. I pay attention to those times. But is it natural in me to do the right thing, even when it's not going to be any fun? Um, love is not natural. Self-love is natural, right? We, we, we fail to define the word love all the time because we're scared to define that word because it's, it's the opposite of what we want to do. Stir each other up. Um, got a couple of pictures here of Matthew's family. Um, Matthew is uh, a lover. He's a natural lover. Somehow as an orphan who almost met his demise in the sea of Haiti and then was left abandoned in a big city full of violence and mistreated. Somehow Matthew is a lover, a natural lover. He loves people. He loves his kids. Kids are attracted to him. Uh, I think they had over 200 on Saturday in their children's ministry. And mostly what that is is just adults loving on kids, singing some songs, trying to tell a story in the midst of all the chaos. Some of y'all were there. Um, it's just love. It's just we care about you. God cares about you. Like that's the message. Um, Matthew's uh, wife, Wesley, and she is a lover as well. Um, got another picture of the two of them together we've already showed you. Um, this is uh, at a restaurant. And Wesley loves to eat. She'll tell you that the first time you meet her. Um, oh, what, what are we going to do? What are, what are we going to go eat? I love to eat. I love to eat. You Americans, you know how to eat. Uh, she says that to me pretty regular. Um, actually, she says, you white men know how to eat. <laughs> it's even funnier. <laughs> uh, and she's right. Uh, but Matthew, in the next photo, is on his way to take his, his children uh, to school. Um, they're allowed to go two days a week in his area um, so he loaded up three kids on a motorcycle with him like they do um, I've got photos of five and six kids on a bike uh, with a parent or somebody a taxi ride to school it doesn't look safe those kids are so good at it the bike could fall down they'd all somehow still be sitting on it it's they are so good so talented um, Matthew is a, a natural lover but Matthew's love is for his people, his group, his, uh, his mission, his ministry, but it's also for others. So Matthew gets together with Guito, Victorine, Belder, Edison. They get together fairly regularly. We facilitate a lot of those get-togethers. Um, and what do they do? They, they encourage each other. Hey, how are you doing? What, what's working for you? What's not working for you? Who's sick in your church? They know each other. They know each other's ministries. They work. They put, they put time into it. They are intentionally meeting together. My wording here is, verse 24 says, Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Consideration of our shared goals. If we're all, if we're all on the same mission here, then why aren't we talking about it? And are we on the same mission here? Being intentional. Um, 
verse 32 through 34 talks about compassion. Compassion for people that are struggling. I'll read this passage quick. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened. So he's talking about the history when the gospel went out and this group of people realized the Jewish faith had culminated in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection even though they'd rejected him. You were enlightened. You realized it. You endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach, big deal for the Jewish culture, and affliction, and sometimes just being partners with those that were treated that way, right? For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you had yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. What's the better possession? Salvation? Abiding one. What is that? We're talking about you have a personal relationship with the God of gods, the Almighty. Doug teaches on abiding a lot. That word means something completely different in that verse than it did a year ago. An abiding God. Compassion for our struggling brothers and sisters. Some of those folks in that in that verse, in that passage, they didn't actually have their own hardships, but they were friends with people that did. And so they put themselves in it. They visited Christians in prison and let the world know that they were Christians as well. Even though being Christians what got them in prison in the first place, they visited them. Think of the nerve that took, the risk that took. But they wanted to be an encouragement. The world's rough. The world's hard. We, uh, it was cold today, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, and it's a big brouhaha. Doug was talking about Walmart, what that looked like yesterday. Um, every time I drove back by Walmart in the last three days, every pickup lane is full and the parking lot's full. And Mom ordered water and couldn't get water. Alex ordered water and got these little teeny bottles that are like a little <laughs> shot of, of water. Um, yeah, um, things are tough right now. Um, but they're... They're, they're not as tough as we think we are because unless we're sharing our lives with others, we think our problems are massive because they're big to us, right? But then when you talk to somebody else and you realize, oh, they've got way bigger problems than I do, and then they have somebody who has even bigger problems, I want to share a really quick list of things that have happened to Matthew since Temple was in, uh, in his town. He had... His passport stolen by someone he paid money to to go to Haiti and get it renewed. An official agency that he's worked with a bunch of times, they took his $500 and his passport, and he had nothing. He then later on went and got a new passport himself that cost $900 instead of the $400 it's supposed to cost. He got his visa with his updated passport, which is really hard to do. I won't take the time to explain all that to you. Haiti's a disaster right now, and it's just impossible government-wise to get anything done. He got his visa through a government-approved licensed visa company, only to find out that it was fake. He found that out when he was stopped on the streets by immigration, 
And they said, this isn't a real visa. doesn't have the whatever thing it's supposed to have. And they deported him. Back to Haiti. That quick. 12 hours. He was already out. Um, how do I get back? Well, I don't have a visa because my visa is not real. I can't cross back into, into the Dominican Republic legally. Um, so he called me and said, here's the deal. I need to get back home. There's no system in place where I can do this legally. If you sent me $5,000, I couldn't get a visa. So what I'm asking you to do is to send me $200 so I can pay a coyote to get me across the border and get me back into my country where I'm serving. Well, as a missionary, I think the last thing I ever expected <laughs> was to have, <laughs> I have to justify every allocation of funds in our ministry, right? And coyote was not, not a line I was prepared to, to write on. <laughs> so spoke to a couple of guys on the board and said, here's the deal. This is what it is. Here, here's where we are. And so he got back across the border. It took him four days. Um, he sent me a text during that time that said, good news. Because only Matthew can say the words good news in the midst of that. I found a place to sleep and a brother that gave me some rice and beans, so I'm not as hungry. He was serious as a heart attack. Good news, God provided my need. So he gets back. I don't remember the timeline. Three weeks later, he's sitting in his little tiny courtyard out in front of the house there at the church. And three police, not immigration trucks, show up. And they get out. And they're, you, coming with us. He had just gotten back. All the finances and stress and all that was just wearing off. That's why he was sitting in the front yard. And they're like, you're coming with us. And he said, why? And they like, you're under arrest. Why? For what? I'm not, you know, they're not going to tell you. You, you, don't have, you don't get to ask questions. And so because he was a kid raised on the streets, he was like, no, <laughs> no, you're not. And his wife, because she's who she is, said, you're not going anywhere. My man, I can tell you that right now. And she, she's hilarious. And they argued. And eventually there were six police officers, and they decided, you're going to come with us. So they grab a hold of him, and they start pushing her out of the way. And things got physical, and. So, natural instinct for him, he fought back. No, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what this is. I haven't done any crimes. This is police arresting me. No. Um, somewhere in that, a policeman got hit in the mouth. And they beat him to a pulp. Took out their batons and literally beat him. Um, concussion, bruises all over him. Both of his eyes were all red. I mean, beat him till he stopped moving and and gave her a few licks until she was afraid to keep going. And they threw him in the truck. And I have video of her getting in the truck as well. You can't stop me. Like, elbow, fight. She got in the truck with him. They take him to jail. They throw him in jail. Um, he borrows a, a cell phone in jail and calls me and says, here's the deal. I don't know what's going on. They beat me, they beat me, they beat me. And I'm in jail, and they're charging me with, and he gives me this list of things they're charging him with. Well, what? there's lawyers in the foundation we work with over there. What are they charging you with? Yeah, they don't tell me. I don't know. I don't know what I'm being arrested for. But now I assaulted a police officer, and I resisted arrest, and, I, and I'm, a, 
I'm a Haitian here illegally. They'll, they're going to put me in jail for 10 or 15 years, and then they're going to never let me come back in this country again. I'll never be able to get a passport. I'll never be able to get a... And he's seeing the big picture of this, and he's in a panic. And We send the lawyers down there and Edison down there and come to find out, oops, sorry, wrong guy. What, were you, what did you think I did? We're, we're not going to tell you that. What made you come to my house? We're not going to tell you that. Our bad. But here's the deal. You assaulted a police officer. And the way their system works, that police officer pressed the charges. So don't worry about all the other stuff we arrested you for that we never explained to you. But you're still going to get, you're still in jail for assaulting a police officer. And all the consequences you're worried about are still in place. Um, so pretty quickly, the lawyers got together and went to a judge. Judge asked some questions there were no good answers for. And the judge said, well, then we just need to find a way to lower his charges because he doesn't need to do 15 years for assault a police officer if we made a mistake and we didn't handle ourselves right. And so they go to the police officer and explain, and the police officer realizes this was all a mistake. He was just doing his job blindly. And he goes and he talks with Matthew in jail. And Matthew's like, I'm, I'm a pastor. You're at a, you're at a church. I just got deported because I had a fake visa. I'm doing things right, like I'm as right as possible in this world. And that police officer said, I'll tell you what, I'll find a way to lower the charges down to where you just pay some kind of a fine. Can you, can you afford $100? He said, no, but I think I got some help that can. And so he gave, the police officer gave him his phone. He called me. And he's like, here's the deal. Here's what I think is happening. I don't know if it's real. Can you send $100? I don't know who to send it to. <laughs> is this a scam? Is this a, I don't know, another line on the on the list of expenses that you don't know for sure. Bail for my pastor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I made that longer than it should have been, but truth is today that police officer and Matthew are friends. I have a picture of them hugging. Um, he came to his house multiple times over the next few days to check on him because he knew what had physically happened to him. And Matthew suffered through it with a smile on his face. Um, eventually the concussion symptoms went away and, and Matthew's all right. Um, a month after that, his wife lost her baby. Um, Life is different to a Haitian because they see death constantly. We are rocked by death here in our culture because we live to be 85 or 90 years old and medical care is so much better. Infant rate of death is so much lower here in the U.S. Matthew had a strange reaction almost of a, yep, it happens. I don't know what to say. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Um. They're mourned the loss of their baby. There's no doubt about it. He said to me, the baby's already in heaven. Beat me there. During this time, she's not recovering well from this physically. And her blood pressure goes to crazy levels. And she has an infection of some kind they can't really figure out with the poor care she's getting. And now it looks like we're going to lose her. That panicked him. My partner, my soulmate, my partner in ministry, 
she recovered. She still doesn't have her energy back yet the whole way. Four months later, three months later, almost lost his wife. Um, last month he called and said, so I've got a, their oldest daughter has a hernia, significant hernia. Something we've heard from several of our Haitian pastors' kids. I don't know what um, what this is, but they've got a, a abdominal hernia, sometimes a groinal hernia, and then they get infected, and then it's disastrous. So that's all gone on in Matthew's life since we since y'all saw him last. And if I texted him right now and said, "How are you doing?" He, all he would talk about is how God's blessing. Not because he's a fake, phony, escaping reality person. His answer would be, I mean, yeah, all that happened, but God brought us through it all. He's just as obviously with us as he was before those things happened. I don't understand a lot of it. It's simple and obvious to him. So it gives him a compassion for struggling people. Um I didn't mention the fact that somebody in his church died in a flood right next to his own house. Or the fact that there was so much flooding in the Dominican that a bunch of church members moved into the church building for three or four days, slept on a concrete floor in in an unfinished concrete building. Um, At least 500 people died in that flooding, and we never heard about it. I've got a video here. We hear flooding. Flooding like is and the water slowly rose and there was a big puddle with a house in the middle of it. Flooding. Here's some church members of Matthew standing in the water with their piece of a house behind them. Flooding. Drama. Emotional toll. Disaster. Literally a week after that, <laughs> Matthew... Matthew sent me a text that talked about how much God has been blessing their group of people, their ministry. Um, perspective, compassion for our struggling brothers and sisters. Now, all of this would have happened if I didn't know Matthew, but I would never know. I have compassion on Matthew. You guys are feeling compassion for Matthew because we took the time to know each other. Compassion for our struggling brothers and sisters. And point four is confidence in our future. Um, Verses 32 through 34. I'm sorry, verse 35. Verse 35 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. We're right back to the beginning of the of the conversation. What is what is my confidence? What is this thing that has a great reward? 
it's my salvation. Our confidence, Matthew's confidence in the midst of that list, is his salvation because he keeps it front and center, clear in front of him. Our great reward. It's coming. Down to verse 37. It says, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. He's coming back. <laughs> this life is going to be over one way or another. It's quick. Paul believed, to my eyes, that Christ was going to come back in his lifetime. He was shocked when he died and Christ hadn't come back yet. Well, man, if we could live our lives that way, what would it change? When's the last time you thought about, I might only have a few days, months, minutes left. How would that change our behavior? And how often do we just get used to the life that we're in? Talked about a lot of different things here today, and I was all over the map on it, and there's a lot to share a lot to talk about, but it really all comes down to do you have your salvation as a priority in your life, in your behavior, in your thoughts, in your actions? We're all glad we're Christians, right? <laughs> Thank goodness. Heaven. We don't even talk about hell much, but let's talk about the alternative, you know. But how is that affecting our daily lives? He's coming back, and he's coming back quickly. It's a reminder. I need it. I need a reminder. There might not be much time. We have to plan like it's forever. <laughs> Work here at Temple like the church is going to be here the next 50 years, right? But the truth is, we don't know. He's coming back, and he won't delay. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We, we're grateful for the gift you've, you've given us. I don't know if everyone in this room has received that, that gift and has that new relationship with you. I don't know what condition that relationship is in. I know mine is up and down, back and forth, and different from one week to the next. Help us make it a priority. Help us keep the things that matter in front of us. Constantly assess where we are. Help us to find ways to bring the best out of each other. Help us to be a, a group of people partnering together. I thank you for the partnering we've seen at Temple for years and years. Thank you for the impact Temple has made in missions around the world, in their community right here. Pray that you'll help us to find ways to do that better, more effective, more often. I pray that people start to wonder what's different here and then you draw them towards it. Help us to share our joy, our love, our compassion with the community around us. We love you. We don't understand you, but we know you're good. We know you're great. You know what? We know you want what's best for Matthew, and yet you allowed a list like that in just six months. But we trust that you want what's best for us. And for Matthew, help us remember that and accept that. Um, be in the time to come.
Jesus' name. Amen.